This program features interviews with respected healthcare industry experts on current topics of substantial national importance. Your host for the program is David Intricasso, a DC-based healthcare policy analyst and researcher. We invite you to comment on the program by visiting thehealthcarepolicypodcast.com. Now, here's David. Welcome to the Healthcare Policy Podcast. I'm the host, David Intracasso. With me today to discuss reporting gun violence is the Pulitzer Prize-winning journalist Jim McMillan, the founder and director of the Philadelphia Center for Gun Violence Reporting and its parent organization, the Initiative for Better Gun Violence Reporting. Mr. McMillan or Jim, welcome to the program. Good morning. Thank you for having me. I'm honored with this opportunity. Mr. McMillan's bio is, of course, posted on the podcast website. Just two notes on background. First, after the New England Journal of Medicine published research that guns in the home were associated with an increased risk of homicides in the home, for 24 years, beginning in 1996, the NRA lobbied Congressional Dickey Amendment, named after Jay Dickey, a former House member, effectively banned the CDC from conducting gun violence research. Second, concerning the 2012 Sandy Hook shooting, in which the gunman fired over 150 rounds, killing 26 and wounding 32. The British newspaper columnist Dan Hodges tweeted in 2015, quote-unquote, in retrospect, Sandy Hook marked the end of the U.S. gun control debate. Once America decided killing children was bearable, it was over, close quote. I'll add, since Sandy Hook, there have been 950 school shootings. Gun deaths are the leading cause of death among American children and teens. With me again to discuss gun violence reporting and the debate is again Jim McMillan. So Jim, with that, uh, as background, obviously uh, the Sandy Hook is in reference to the latest uh, school shooting uh, Mm -hmm. in Texas. So let's begin. Uh, The obvious question for me is, um, for context, is if you can briefly describe uh, your organization's work uh, again, the Philadelphia Gun Center for Violence Reporting. Great. Uh, well, thanks so much. For, for, and, and, you know, thank you for that introduction, for framing it, because it's grim and it puts us in the right mindset to uh, to address the, the challenge at hand. Um, so I launched the Philadelphia Center for Gun Violence Reporting two years ago, but at the same time, it's the culmination of 40 years of work for me. It's been a, a long journey, and, and, other, and at the same time, it's just the beginning of, of, of a fairly new endeavor and, and with, with so much work left to do, of course. Um, in a nutshell, we're, I, I launched it to consider the hypothesis that changing the way that journalists and news organizations report on gun violence might actually prevent violence, stop mm-hmm. shootings, and save, and save lives. Um, and there, there are three primary programs at this point. You know, it's, it's a nascent, lean, and evolving organization. Um, but but it, it's become clear at this point that we've got um, three main programs. We have a, a community reporting project uh, called the Credible Messenger Reporting Project that um, that it's intended to you know, shift power from traditional news organizations to people with lived experience. We have um, a professional development initiative we call a Better Gun Violence Reporting to support and assist people already working in more traditional, familiar news organizations. And we have an emerging research collaborative. And I'd, I'd be happy to discuss you know, any or all of those programs at, at more length, if you like. Okay, thank you. I will uh, read. Uh, this is on your uh, homepage, of course. Um, 
about which you're obviously very familiar. It poses this question, better reporting on gun violence could enhance public understanding and support for effective programs and policies to prevent gun violence and hopefully save lives. Um, And then uh, the subsequent assent is, but what does the ideal, most ethical, impactful reporting on gun violence look like in real life? Uh, So per your comment, uh, I I think that you summed it up very well. Um, Let's let's get into some of the details um, relative to Philadelphia. Uh, You Mm. clearly put a good deal of time into your weekly uh, brief newsletter. Um, uh, You know, my question generally is if you can outline this work, but specifically, um, you you report current status in Philly. In fact, you show a graph of the number of weekly shootings uh, in the city, which I found uh, equally sobering as uh, mm-hmm. su- surprising. Uh, so what are the number, average number of weekly shootings uh, in Philly? And if you could speak more broadly to uh, the newsletter's uh, programming. Yes, yeah, no, thanks. I, I really appreciate the opportunity to talk about these. I don't have the... The, the latest weekly figures at hand, at, off the top of my head, I think we had 60-something people shot last week. But um, I'm, I'm looking at some recent data that shows through June 1st of this year, we had 927 people shot in Philadelphia. Um, at, at least 188 of them have died. Um, and that's um, of a total of 211 uh, year-to-date homicides being reported by the police department, actually one day later, but, but you get the general idea. The mm-hmm. point is that mo- most of the homicides here are gun deaths. And um, in, in terms of the newsletter, um, yeah, you know, it, it's, you mentioned it's, it's long and daunting. And in fact, I was uh, discussing uh, strategy with, with a, a newsroom partner yesterday. We, we distribute the newsletter with um, a, a hyper local news organization here called Billy Penn. It's part of our, a uh, part of WHYY, <coughs> WHYY, our public uh, media uh, partner here in Philadelphia. And um, it, it, it's a lot of information. And I try, you know, I, I, on one hand, we we are primarily focused on the role of the media, as I explained earlier. But I also try to highlight the best reporting and also introduce some new research and try and, and pro, pro, uh, posit a, a solution of the week when possible and 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 to take a moment to uh, honor those who have lost each week with a in memoriam section. Um, so it, it's a little bit daunting. It's probably too much. Um, and, 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 you know, we're always trying to, you know, improve, improve that product as well as our other, other channels of communication, which are, you know, another aspect of this work. You know, I, I talked about our, our main programs, but I'm also sort of tasked with communicating all of that and, and, you know, related development, of course. Well, the reason I ask, obviously, is your newsletter, uh, by definition, I would assume, is better reporting of gun violence, your newsletter per se. Let, let me go to... I will say, too, relative to your uh, website, you do post a, a good number, it appeared to me, of videos, um, panel discussions, interviews, etc., which I found very instructive and helpful. And I'll get to that um, in a second or reference in context of my next question, which is um, it's, it's the issue of roots of the problem. I, in fact, that is a phrase from your website. Um, mm-hmm. In my view, part of the problem is these shootings occur or reported out of context. Somebody shot so-and-so. The result, you know, what's the status of 
was the, has the perpetrator been arrested, you know, et cetera, et cetera. There, there's, there's no, there's no context. It, it's just, it's just event reporting. Um, and as you know better than most, there's always, um, context here. Uh, and that again, the roots of the problem. And in fact, I'll, I'll quote, uh, one of your interviewees in a video, Erica Atwood, um, where she states, uh, the shooting is the symptom, not the problem. And then she goes on to discuss lack of economic program, et cetera. And you had another gentleman, I'd not get his name, uh, in another video where he notes, violence occurs long before the trigger is pulled. So mm. I think those comments largely sum up. So relative to better reporting, um, what what effort is is being done, and how successful is it relative to describing and discussing the roots of the problem? Yeah, so so this is the core of our work, and so thank you for that question. And I agree with your assessment of the lack of the lack of context in too much of the reporting. First, I want to say that there are exceptions, of course. There's some brilliant reporting being done by in some corners of every city, and locally and nationally, on gun violence and prevention. But for the most part, we feel that we see a great deal too much of what we call episodic reporting, that the sort of incident, the sort of reporting you describe. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, and it's usually, you know, an 18 year old male was shot at the corner of this and that rushed to some hospital in whatever condition. And we're never going to follow up. We're going to give you the same report tomorrow on the next person. Right. And um, we're learning through um, and, and we'll be publishing research eventually. But I can share some preliminary findings. We're learning that it's leaving. um News consumers feeling, at least hope locally in Philadelphia, feeling hopeless, scared, dehumanized. Um, victims feel as if they're being portrayed as suspects or as guilty of something for having gotten shot. Mm-hmm. And there are even, even um, suggestions that it might be adding to cycles of retaliatory violence by, by giving it prominence in the news, that people want to become the next headline or perhaps feel more pressured to retaliate because of the spotlight shown on them, um, because, you know, there's already social pressure to retaliate and, and, and it's amplified by the news coverage. So, you know, so, so we've identified some harms. Now, the alternative to episodic reporting might be called thematic reporting, and that could be deep reporting on the root causes, the you know, hundreds of years of of, of policies and laws in this country that, that have gotten us to this point. And, and, and also, you know, reporting on evidence-based solutions. There are very, th- th- there are intervention and prevention programs that have been implemented for now literally decades in various cities in the United States and sometimes show double digit decreases in gun violence from year to year. And, but they're, they're never sustained. Um, they're, they're never, they, they, they never persisted because of, we think often because of change. I'm, I'm off on a tangent now, but oh, changes in, in changes in administration sometimes sometimes lead to lead to new programs. Um, but um, but in the bigger picture, um, when you when we look at episodic reporting, um, it's almost always dependent on one source on, on 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 the police department who's there to give you the sort of you know the the who what wins of, of what happened. And, but that's the critical mistake, framing gun violence as an issue that's going to be resolved through criminal through law enforcement and criminal justice obfuscates every other every other sort of solution, every policy solution, everything that we've learned through public health and criminology and criminal justice 
about how to prevent violence. Now, I appreciate that last point, uh, just from the frame perspective of uh, the police department. So thank you for that. Um, listeners will recall, I've, I've spent a fair amount of time in the past year on, largely because, motivated by COVID, on declining life expectancy in this country. And that gets you to deaths of despair, and that gets you to suicides, frequently uh, the result of, of use of a, a handgun or rifle. Um, the reporting tends to be, in my, my sense, the reporting tends to be, when we talk about gun violence, it's homicide murder, um, mass murders. We don't spend much time, other than, say, if you look up a CDC report uh, on the suicide count, which, of course, the last few years is, is record-setting. Um, what's your sense of uh, reporting of gun violence as it relates to uh, individuals checking their own life? And I ask because, per your point, there are some rules for journalists in reporting suicides because they tend to breed subsequent suicides. Well, you, you, you're really um, touching on a lot of the things we're working on and thinking about here. Um, so, you know, first of all, I, I, I guess for context, I should be crystal clear that I have, I have been more focused on preventing community gun violence, the kind of gun violence that's, that's most problematic in you know, you know many American cities. Mm-hmm. Nationally, about two thirds of gun deaths are suicides. Right, right. right. Um, I, but I, I'm not especially well versed in in you know suicide by, by gun and in, in prevention. Um, and, but so this is a good point to kind of step back and say what I usually say the first time that I speak to a new audience is that the first thing everyone needs to understand is what an incredibly complex multi-dimensional topic gun violence and prevention can be that you can spend your whole life studying you know the, the second amendment or you know the, the 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 role of the supreme court or public health intervention or or criminal justice you know either in or you know campus shootings or open carry or you know there there's there's so much work to do that you really can't you know quite you know you can't become a, a complete. I, I know I've met a very few people who seem to grasp it all, but I can't. I can't retain it all myself. Um, so, so we're focused on community gun violence. But, um, but, but there's an important um, lesson that we're beginning to take away from from suicide coverage that we think might apply here, and we're just we're just beginning to think about this and talk to other experts about it. But, um, but for comparison. I'm actually, I've been around a long time. I'm old enough to remember when suicide was covered differently, when it was covered almost like novelty in, in graphic detail, mm-hmm. kind of like those episodic gun violence reports we're talking about right now. But if you look at the, at the guide, the, the uh, Associated Press style book, um, which is the sort of primary guidebook for journalists and journalism ethics, um, and uh, among some others, but 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 a, a primary guidebook for for all journalists in in the U.S. Anyway, um, their recommendation, and I'm paraphrasing, but their recommendation is to avoid reporting on incidents of suicides, but instead to report on the issue. And then, but they do make room for exceptions. That, that and again, I'm paraphrasing, but I think it's when when there's a public figure involved or. Or when it's in a in a landmark location, or there's a significant disruption to public services, then maybe sometimes you need to make an exception. But but they say not to report incidents because 
there's there's evidence of of you know copycat suicides right. of, of, of of outbreaks of suicide in places where there's been reporting of an incident in in detail now there, there's a, there's a whole lot more um to, to learn about this and I, I wish i had the resources at the tip of my tongue and i don't and I, but you know what i just watched um the, so it would be easy enough to google there's a new coursera course for journalists covering suicide that had had more specific guidelines, and I just don't have them at my fingertips today. But um, but 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 certainly not not you know reporting the means. So reporting the means of suicide and some other details increase the risk of contagion. Well, okay. So stepping back from that, what if we could take those lessons and apply them to? And there there are some similarities and there are some differences, of course. But apply them to reporting on incidents of gun violence. What if, for example? We just stop reporting on incidents by default and then considering when we perhaps should make exceptions that would that would seem to prevent the harms that we've identified. And while we're at it, I should mention that we haven't identified any protective effect. We haven't identified any any benefits to to repeated episodic reporting, certainly in places, cities like Philadelphia and many others where this happens every day. It's not as if people are suddenly safer when one incident is resolved. If you live in a, a neighborhood that's highly distressed by gun violence and, and, and wait to hear that, you know, police caught the shooter, you're still at risk of gun violence. So, so with no protective effect and, and, and so many harmful effects, perhaps we should report on incidents of gun violence or not report on incidents of gun violence. And uh, similarly, uh, you know, in, in terms of the way we address uh, reporting on suicide now. Okay, thank you. Just my own view is, despite the numbers of suicides and the increase over the last couple of decades, particularly amongst children, uh, as a uh, subtopic I started this conversation mm. introduced, um, it's it's almost akin to uh, childhood sexual abuse. We, we, we this is you know uh, suicide, particularly amongst we don't just don't we don't talk about it, um, uh, particularly considering how increasingly prevalent it is. But let's. Speaking of, and I buried this question, so I'll go back up to, to the top of my list. Um, I mentioned Sandy Hook. I feel uh, forced. I mentioned Texas. This is uh, Uvalde, this shooting in Uvalde. As a case, I'm sure you've followed it closely. What what have you taken away from reporting on the Texas shooting uh, relative to, um, let's just say, term it the quality of reporting? Well, you know, that's a good question because I haven't <laughs> – these are all good questions. But but what I'm really saying about that question is I haven't completely thought this through. And and it's and, and for a couple of reasons. I try not to be reactionary. I feel sympathetic for the people that, that have uh, mm-hmm. responsibilities to write something intelligent while we're all still – reeling from the trauma of course um and and so so i'm i'm still ingesting it um i'm what i here's what i notice is that i spend um i start every morning going through some news feeds and google alerts and and twitter twitter lists and and looking at news reporting every day and what we've seen is you know just another explosion of reporting on gun violence uh, like we see after these events, and for the most part, what's hitting my screen, and of, of course, you know, I, you know, my previous my previous attention feeds the algorithm, of course. But what's hitting my screen is a great deal of reporting on solutions, on evidence based solutions, on things we know that work. So, so that that's terrific. Um, the um, yeah, you know, I, I've got I've got some thoughts on reporting that I think might be harmful, but they're not. 
they're, they're not fully formulated and I want to be fair about it. Um, one, 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 one aspect that sticks out, um, is the, is the, uh, the focus on, on the performance of, of local police. And, and I, I don't really want to weigh in. I don't feel prepared to weigh on, weigh in on that, except to say that that's, that's really taking our eye off the ball. That's mm-hmm. not why, that's not why this happens. That's not why it's happened before. And that's not why it's going to happen again. So, so I, I think it's, it, while, it, while, it, while perhaps it's an important question in itself, I think it's also, um, uh, you know, uh, among, among many distractions. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. I do want to get obviously to your work as it relates to, uh, policy specifically, certainly, uh, where Philly, a city government, is going or what they're thinking is, but I do have to ask this question, of course, in your work, what's your experience um, uh, relative to interacting with the medical provider community? Um, other than obviously, you know, X victim was treated at, at X acute setting. Um, does your work involve uh, the medical provider community? Are they involved with, with this issue in Philadelphia proactively? You know, hmm. h- help me connect the dots uh, relative to your experience, yeah. So, so th- th- these are terrific questions. I, I, I'm, I'm hesitating over how to frame this, but um, I think at first blush, it might be safe to say that the medical community could be more accessible to journalists. But, but you know, but journalists could also turn you know, experts aren't hard to find, right? We've got we've got we've got several leading, you know, EDUs and medical institute medzined, so to speak, here in Philadelphia. And every and, and it's not hard to Google them up or find them on social media. Um, but but you know, uh, medical privacy laws sometimes often make it impossible for for um, sources to answer the questions that journalists come with um, about particular incidents. And another reason why it's important to focus on issues rather than incidents on the bright side. And this is, this is, this was an incredible um, discovery for me just over the last few years. Um, the uh, so, so wait, here's the, the first thing I should tell you is that we have a director of research. Dr. Jessica Beard is um a trauma surgeon at Temple University Hospital, a hospital that might have the most gunshot patients in the in the country, as far as I can tell. Um, we're, we're in a city with a very high rate, and they're just geographically located right in the middle of the three places with the, the most suffering. And, um, and so she treats gunshot patients every day and night that she works, but she's also a public health researcher. And it has been focused on gun violence prevention for a long time. And we've been working together more specifically on the role of the media related to gun violence prevention for several years. She's been the primary partner in my work for three or four years now. But while since I was introduced to her and have come to meet more of her colleagues, I've learned that and I've met many of them that a, a well, to me, it was surprising, but a great number of trauma surgeons are also public health researchers focused on gun violence prevention. And I can think of at least a few who told me that it's specifically because they get tired of of saving lives and then turning people around and sending them back out into exactly the same same environment where where where, where they were shot in the first place. And so they're trying to make make a difference on a you know systemic level as well as on an individual level. And so so 
they're all pretty active. You know, the, first of all, they publish research that, that's not hard to find in prominent journals, but they're also very active in social media around here and, and beyond as well, uh, particularly on Twitter, <laughs> on, on Twitter. And so searching, you know, searching trauma surgeons on Twitter would be beneficial and, and that probably leaves out other clinicians, other uh, emergent. I'm probably forgetting there's a, you know, a, a, a deep spectrum of, of, uh, of, of people in medicine that research, um, who, who research gun violence and prevention. Um, so, so I think there are some shortcomings. I think, I think in some ways, um, the, you know, the, the, the sort of institutions of, of, of healthcare could be more accessible, but these individuals are, are just, um, spectacular and an incredible gift to, to the, to the prevention efforts. Uh, thank you again. Uh, I asked that question part of course, you well aware a couple of days ago, two physicians were shot, uh, in Tulsa. So I, partly motivated. I will say as mm-hmm. an aside, uh, I do know that at DC General Hospital, um, Safety Net uh, Hospital long since closed uh, in the 90s to, to punctuate the point, they had uh, Israeli army surgeons who would visit to observe because the hospital was level one trauma and saw so many uh, gunshot victims. So that's a pretty sobering uh, to learn, I thought. Um, let's move on to, uh, again, as I noted, your interaction with uh, Philly state government and uh, what's promising on that front relative to uh, addressing, trying to reduce, mitigate gun violence, community gun violence, uh, and, and how your work is informing that. Right. So, so as I said, we're in, you know, as I explained earlier, we're a nascent organization. Mm-hmm. So we're just starting to pivot toward, you know, assessing our work. We've been, you know, building, building the organization, trying to get it off the ground and sustain it. So, so I don't have hard evidence of how we're informing the work. I know that we've opened up a lot of relationships and, and we, and we're met with a great deal of enthusiasm uh, for the most part across, uh, across various networks, but I can't quite prove it or put my finger on it or point sure. to it for you. Um, in, in the meantime, what we're seeing here in Philadelphia is what, what I'm seeing in the news from, from many cities is um, increased funding for community violence um, intervention programs, uh, evidence-based programs, uh, shifting the, you know, shifting the money and the power to uh, people in the community with lived experience who, who know, you know, know who have, you know, have been have exceptional expertise um, when, when it when it comes to understanding the, the problem and possible solutions. So in and so we're and we're seeing collaborations, you know, among them and with the city and with medical institutions. We're also seeing um, hospital-based violence intervention programs uh, better funded and expanding here in Philadelphia, and I'm seeing it. In, in the news elsewhere, and yet these feel like very recent movements over the last, expanding more dramatically over the last few years. Did that? I don't know. You know, I don't know if that if that followed Parkland in particular, or incre- more often, you know, increases in in uh, in gun violence through the last five years or so that was creeping up even before the pandemic and then spiking during the pandemic. So I, I don't exactly know how this came to pass, but um, but that's what we're seeing a shift a shift to community funding and increased um, increased funding for hospital based violence inter- intervention. But the at the same time, it's. It's really insufficient. It's really inferior to the sort of funding we see going to police departments, for example. And while you know, and we're you know, we're not anti-police. Police have a role to play. We need police at the table, of course, but they're really not 
there's really no evidence that they play a significant role in prevention. So it would make sense to, some might suggest that it might make sense to spend more money on prevention than policing if we want to stop the violence. Uh, thank you again. Uh, I, I have to say, in my experience, uh, efforts, this discussion often reminds me, the frustration of it reminds me of uh, the related, of course, uh, drug-related deaths, opioid of course, those mm-hmm. numbers off off the chart. So the discussion is: this is the the next quote unquote progressive step, and there is evidence for it certainly, and that's a safe consumption sites. Um, but again, that ignores, crowds out um, the underlying problem of lack of economic opportunity, mm-hmm. et, et cetera, right. et cetera. So. Um, it seems oftentimes one step forward, uh, two steps back. Let me ask, you do have a formal, the Initiative for Better Gun Violence Reporting. Um, I looked at uh, that effort online again. Uh, you make seven points uh, that starts this, earn your place in the community, remember who and what is important, then the list goes on from there. And there's other uh, related programming. Um, could you um, make comment of, about it um, specifically, since this is really, again, it seems to be uh, the crux of your work. Sure. Thank you. And I'm so glad you asked because I have to step back a little bit. So to be clear, the Initiative for Better Gun Violence Reporting is the parent organization of the Philadelphia Center right. for Gun Violence right. Reporting. I, I launched the initiative in 2019 while I was being supported by a fellowship at the Reynolds Journalism Institute at the University of Missouri to do this work. And I, I had the green light to do the field work back here. In, it was a residential fellowship, but I did the field work back here at home in Philadelphia. And one of the thing, one of the first things we did was we organized an event, and, and this will come back to to the, to the guidelines you mentioned. Uh, we organized an event. We called it the Better Gun Violence Reporting Summit. We and it was kind of it was kind of an experiment who would, to see who would come to this. Um, and we hosted it at WHYY, the public media outlet here in Philadelphia, which has a wonderful conference facility. And um, and the goal was to invite um, to to invite journalists who report on gun violence locally and nationally to invite uh, researchers from the you know, spectrum of, of disciplines that focus on gun violence prevention and to invite community representatives. And, um, and by event day, um, you know, it was, in my opinion, a jaw-dropping success. Um, we, 250 people turned up, journalists from the New York Times to the LA Times, but also from digital first media, ethnic media, um, smaller cities like, you know, Flint and Allentown and Trenton and Atlantic City. Um, and, and on the stage, we had representatives from all of those, those groups that, that I mentioned as well. And so what the, the guidelines on the homepage of, of the initiative site, ibgvr.org, um, are, are taken from, from that day, from, from those communities, from, from, from the speakers on the stage, but also from, from sifting through public, uh, through, through the questions that were submitted that we recorded and, and social media responses. And I'm probably forgetting other channels, but those were all of our takeaways from that day. And it was, you know, intended as, a preliminary set of best practices for reporting on community gun violence. And I really, I really, I, I could read them to you and, but you know, I really recommend that everybody drop in and give them a look. But it was really about, it was really more about a posture, you know, like you said, earn your place in the community. It's about, it's about earning, earning trust and being intentional. And, and, and I hope it's, I think it can be very useful, but it's, it's also not, incredibly specific. So 
one of the goals of our continuing work, Dr. Beard's work, Dr. Beard has a, a fellowship. She's being supported with a fellowship from the Stonely Foundation here in Philadelphia to spend half of her time as our director of research for the next three years. And if you can imagine the value of half of a surgeon's time for three mm-hmm. years, it's an, it's an enormous contribution. And we're, I'm incredibly grateful for this and, and excited about what we're going to do. But one of the things we hope to do is to develop a much, one of the things we intend to do is to, is to come out with a much more detailed and advanced um, set of best practices based on what we're learning. And, and that, and then perhaps it's a good time to go off on what we're doing now. So, so in the, well, like I said, we've got three different initiatives, but in, in the research collaborative, there are a couple of, uh, the primary main studies underway include, um, a, a really deep content analysis of local Philadelphia TV news reporting um, during every day of 2021. We looked at 90 minutes of reporting across the four four leading newsrooms, the four main newsrooms here, and you know, and, and we imagine that 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 survey could inform all sorts of studies in terms of, you know, what questions such as perhaps you know, do do some do some incidents or some victims get more coverage than others, or mm-hmm. or, 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 or or what sources are being cited, who cites. Who goes to anybody but the police? How often are we hearing from just the police and so on? And, and probably more questions than I, I'm remembering or have yet to imagine. Um, and, and But the other study, um, we have uh, some of the leading research partners at, 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 at Penn, at the University of Pennsylvania and Lehigh University, and we've got some associate researchers as well. And the, But, but the, 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 the lead research team has been interviewing uh, gunshot victims when they um, at, at Temple Hospital, not when they're not when they're first shot, of course, but after they've recovered enough to go home and return for clinical care, the, they were invited to opt into um, research interviews, and that's where we, we learned some of the things you know I, I was saying about the harmful reporting earlier. But uh, but all of all of this work did, to circle back to your question, all of this work is intended to answer that question on the homepage. You know, what is the most ethical, impactful? Um, you know, I'm trying, I'm trying to remember our language exa- exactly, but it, it, what, what is it? I'm, I'm trying to take a peek really quickly because I'm, I'm having a, I'm having a brain cramp. But uh, what, what the most ethical and impactful, impactful reporting on gun violence yeah. look like? Yeah, yeah. And and you know what? The, the other the other word we've been adding lately, I'm realizing, isn't on the homepage, and that was that's what I was stumbling over. We've been we've been framing it more around what the most ethical, impactful, and empathetic reporting looks like mm-hmm. because we don't we want to stop harmful reporting and. Um, so, so, so answering that question will inform a, a, an advanced set of best practices, perhaps in, certainly incorporating what we've learned before, but taking it up to a next level in this in this current work. Well, thank you again, Jim. We're at our time. Sadly, we could go on. Obviously, I, I will say, by way of encouragement, um, relative to research, if you could spend some time with policymakers. Uh, relative to how do they understand the problem and solutions thereof, I think we'd get uh, a great deal further since I started with the Dickey Amendment that persisted for almost a quarter of a century, effectively banning research. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's a policymaker who thought the best way to go on this is not to research the subject. So needless to say, there's there's a chasm between uh, policymaking and trying to correctly address this or effectively uh, address this problem. So with that, Jim, thank you so much for your time. I wish you uh, every success, and maybe we can revisit this down the road. Uh, relative evidence, you know, that's a lagging indicator, so don't feel as though you have to wait for it before you mm-hmm. can speak out. So thank you again. 
I, I can't thank you enough. If I could just add one more note, sure, please. We, we, we think we think we're pretty good collaborators. We're always interested in partnerships. We're not hard to find. Uh, if if anyone's interested in uh, working together, would love to hear from them. And well, th- th- thank you so much, David. It's it's been a pleasure and an honor to be here. Let's uh, let's hope so, and I'll post your information along with the audio. So take care. Thanks so much. You have just heard another edition of the Healthcare Policy Podcast, hosted by David Intricasso. To comment on this program or others, to see information about upcoming interviews, to suggest a program topic, or to hear an archive program, please visit our website, thehealthcarepolicypodcast.com. Thank you for listening, and please listen again soon.